listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind can come out only through prayer. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Jim, for that reading. So I don't know about everyone else, uh, but I am still riding high off of last Sunday. Easter was so much fun this year, wasn't it? It was, it was great. The, uh, it could be maybe because it was our first Easter back uh, since the pandemic. That didn't even occur to me until like midway through the service. I realized like, man, it's been, it's been over two years since we've been able to do this. Um, but it was great. The breakfast was awesome. Another big thanks to all the volunteers who helped with that. Uh, it was amazing breakfast. The egg hunt was a blast. I found like 70 eggs. I didn't. It's for the kids. Um, but it was great. Choir, choir was amazing. It was, it was just an awesome um, time of worship all around. Uh, another thing that I think made Easter a little extra special this year uh, was our Illuminations of the Cross event. Uh, this was a brand new event uh, that we did based on the Stations of the Cross. Um, folks who grew up Catholic are probably having flashbacks to Stations of the Cross, but that was kind of the inspiration for this. Uh, very interactive, very meaningful time. Um, and I heard from a lot of folks who were asking if we had uh, pictures or videos or anything like that from this event. Um, and we've got you covered. What we did uh, is we put together a virtual version 
of Illuminations of the Cross. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel. All you need to do if you want to find it is go to youtube.com, search for our church, Brockport First Baptist. It's under our videos, probably like the third or fourth video there. Uh, if you didn't make it to Illuminations or if you just want to see it again, or if you want to share it with someone who was unable to make it, uh, head over to YouTube, find our church's uh, channel, and that is the way to go. <clears throat> We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark today. Uh, last week we read the story of the Transfiguration, uh, which is when Jesus takes three of his disciples up on a mountain to pray, and he is transfigured before them. He starts glowing. Moses and Elijah show up. It's a pretty wild story. And today's reading picks up right where we left off. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're the they in that first verse, they come back down the mountain and they find the other disciples arguing with some religious leaders. And the cause of the argument is that the disciples tried to heal a young boy and they failed. The boy's father explains his son's condition. Uh, he has a demon, an unclean spirit that renders him unable to speak. It gives him seizures, throws his body into water and fire. Very uh, serious, very scary stuff. The father begs Jesus for help. He's like, if you can help us, please, we're desperate. And I love this. Jesus gets real sassy. Um, Jesus is like, if I can help you, right? Like, do you know who you're talking to? I, I love it. I, I love sassy Jesus. Um, I don't know about you all, but like, I find Jesus the most relatable when he's the least humble. I don't know, I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, um, Jesus uh, encourages his father to have faith, believe, and the father says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus heals the kid. Afterwards, the disciples uh, are with Jesus in a house, and they're like, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus responds, this kind only comes out with prayer. So much good stuff uh, in this story. Let's start by talking about the miracle of it all, because I know this is where a number of us are going to be a little hung up with this story. Um, this is yet another story here in Mark where we see Jesus performing a miracle, casting out a demon. And I know that's where a lot of us as modern readers uh, kind of check out. We don't really know what to do with that. And it doesn't really help that this kid's condition sounds like epilepsy, right? Anyone else have that thought when you're reading this? Like, this sounds a lot like epilepsy. Yeah, even, even in some older Bible translations, you'll find the translators will add a little, a little like, subheading to this story that's like, Jesus heals a boy with epilepsy. Um, here's the text again. This is um, the father's description of his son's condition, verse 17. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. That sounds like epilepsy. Today, we'd probably diagnose the kid with epilepsy, get him some treatment. Uh, we don't operate with the assumption anymore that if someone starts seizing and foaming at the mouth, they have a demon, right? That's not what we do. We call 911 and we get the person to a hospital. But that was not an option in the first century. I can't stress that enough. You didn't have hospitals. You didn't have treatments. Most doctors, if we could even call them that by our standards today, back then wouldn't even treat someone with epilepsy. They thought it was demonic. So as, as hung up as some of us might get with this, as much baggage as we might have, maybe, uh, maybe you don't believe in miracles. 
Or maybe uh, you've seen some modern-day faith healers exposed as frauds. Maybe you've come across Christians who will use a story like this to say that if you're sick and you don't get better, or if your kid is sick and they don't get better, then you just don't have enough faith. Maybe you've encountered that. That's garbage, by the way. Uh, That is not what this story is about. I want to invite us all for the next few minutes to set that baggage aside so we can try to hear the lesson that Mark actually has for us in this story. This is not a story about miracles and healings. The miracle is a vehicle. Mark is using this miracle story to teach us something about faith. What does effective faith look like? What kind of faith has power? When the chips are down and you've got nowhere left to go, what kind of faith is going to be there to hold you together and keep you tethered to God? Mark addresses this question. He, he brings it to the surface by contrasting the faith of the disciples with the faith of this father. We've already seen how Mark does this a lot. Mark loves to take two things, shove them next to each other, and make us deal with them. Make us compare and contrast them, learn from them, figure out what they have to do with each other. And in this story, Mark is prompting us to consider the faith of the disciples alongside the faith of the Father. Let's start with the disciples first. The faith of the disciples looks pretty good. It's a strong, public-facing faith. It's bold. It's in your face. The disciples have been out there for a while now. They've been healing people. They've been teaching. They've been following Jesus. These aren't religious experts, right? They're They're not priests. They're not scribes. They're fishermen and tax collectors. These are ordinary people who've had an extraordinary change, transformation in their lives. They're out there doing the thing following Jesus in front of the crowds with their faith on full display. By our standards today, if we were to see these people in action, the disciples appear to have great faith, amazing faith. But that faith is only surface level. There's no depth to it. The faith of the disciples looks really good, it's bold, but when you peel back the layers, when you look under the surface, there's no there there. When this father brings his son to Jesus and he's like, I asked your disciples to cast out this demon, but they couldn't do it, uh, Jesus replies, verse 19, I think it is, uh, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? That sounds really harsh, right? It's like, come on, Jesus, this guy's kid is sick. It's not as clear in our English translations, but when Jesus says, you faithless generation, he's not talking to the Father. He's talking to his disciples. He's calling them faithless. How much longer do I have to put up with you, disciples, is what's being said here. See, their faith looks fantastic on the outside. It's got a strong exterior, but it's empty. It's as hollow as one of those chocolate Easter bunnies, right? You, like, bite into it, and it's like, ah, it's hollow. It just, like, falls apart. It crumbles. And that's because the faith of the disciples is performative. 
Like so much in our culture today, the faith of the disciples looks really good from the outside. It performs well in public, but it's hollow. Think about the performative nature of our culture, especially in this era of social media that we all live in. So much of our lives isn't really lived anymore as much as it's performed online for likes, right? For thumbs up, for shares, for retweets. Um, You go on vacation, and you got to get the perfect picture so we can put it on Facebook, right? Um, Even if the trip is miserable, even if it goes awful, uh, there's flight delays, the kids are crying, the parents are bickering, but hey, let's get a good picture in front of a monument so everyone can see how much fun we're having, right? Like that, that's what we do. Our social media-driven uh, world has reduced almost everything down to a performance, a public display. Uh, ethics, politics, activism, faith. I don't actually have to do anything anymore. I don't have to change anything about myself. I don't have to be transformed. I don't have to get out there and make a difference. I don't even have to get off my couch. If I can just find the right meme or write the perfect tweet, if I get the right photo with the right filter on Instagram, I've done my part. Jesus comes down the mountain and he finds the disciples fighting with these religious experts. Why were they fighting with them again? What's what's going on? Were these experts, like, excluding someone who should have been included? Were they, were they bad-mouthing Jesus? Were they passing bigotry off his faith? No. The disciples are arguing with the religious leaders because they don't want to look bad in public. They failed to perform, and so they started a fight. Because you cannot show any weakness in a performance-based culture. You can't let any cracks show. The picture's got to be perfect. If you're wrestling with things, if you're having a bad day, if stuff isn't going as you planned, none of that makes it on Instagram. Only the good stuff. Some of us might be familiar uh, with the name Michael Gunger. Um, I got his picture up here. He's a contemporary Christian worship leader and uh, songwriter. I actually really like his stuff, and I don't don't like a lot of contemporary Christian music, but um, he makes really complex music with a pretty solid message. Um, The song Beautiful Things was one of his early hits, uh, if you've ever heard it. Uh, You make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of us. I don't know. Some people are nodding. I'm not doing it justice. A couple people know it. (laughs) A few years ago, Michael Gunger made the fatal error of being vulnerable on the internet. Back in 2014, uh, in a couple of tweets and a blog post, Michael Gunger shared about how he was wrestling with his faith. He was wrestling specifically uh, with a literal reading of Genesis. Uh, Here's what he had to write on his blog. In college, I came up against some of the science showing the age of the earth, showing evolutionary principles, and it really kind of rocked me a little bit. I was raised in Christian school, and I learned in my Christian school textbooks how carbon dating was flawed, and the scientists of the world, the more mainstream scientists, were all very biased and were trying to sway the science toward atheism because they didn't want to believe the Bible. And then when I got into college and had to cite my work for my papers, and I was trying to argue that against my professors, I kept seeing that my sources were the biased ones. And that created a lot of tension for me. 
It's a very honest, vulnerable thing to write. I know a lot of us in here might roll our eyes on this. Like, we might be like, evolution and creation, really? Are we still having that same debate? Of course we don't read Genesis 1 literally. I know that's where some of us are. But Michael Gunger got crucified for this. Uh, Christian bookstores stopped selling his albums. Uh, A number of churches boycotted him and stopped singing his songs. Prominent evangelical leaders started attacking him on Twitter. Because you don't show vulnerability in a performance-based culture. You don't let the crack show. You don't talk about your doubts and your questions. Your job is to defend the faith. And when people do push back, when they do start asking the wrong questions, well, then you go on the offensive. You fight back. Michael Gunger was cut off because he dared to be vulnerable in a culture with no room for vulnerability. Meanwhile, all most politicians have to do is like shake hands with a pastor on camera and it's like the second coming of Christ, right? Like the same Christians who like cut Michael Gunger off will look at that and be like, oh, well, he's got my vote, right? Like that's, that's a performance-based faith. And Mark is showing us that there's no there there. He's showing us that that kind of faith has no power, and he does it by contrasting the faith of the disciples with the faith of this father. Uh, Verse 21. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him, but if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able... All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. We don't know much about the father in this passage. Mark doesn't give us a lot of information. Uh, We don't get his name. We don't know where he's from. We get less information about this guy than we got about the Syrophoenician woman a few chapters ago who had a demon-possessed daughter. Very similar story that we talked about like a month ago maybe. And yet we learn a lot about this father's faith. The picture's complex. Uh, This guy's been suffering. He's been watching his kid suffer for years. He had enough faith to bring his son to the disciples for healing, but that didn't work. God didn't show up. God didn't come through. Uh, He went to the experts. He put his faith in the church, and the church failed him. So desperate for help with nowhere else to turn, this father goes to Jesus, and he's like, maybe you can help. I believe. Help my unbelief. How incredibly vulnerable. Notice what the father doesn't say. He doesn't doesn't say, I believe, but I have some doubts. So I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to try really hard to believe this time. Maybe if I believe hard enough, maybe God will show up and I'll get what I want. That's That's not what he says. This father's not trying to save face. He's not acting like he's got it all together. He's not worried about what the crowd will think or how it might look. He's not going to pick a fight uh, and put up some kind of a front. He's not acting like a spiritual giant. This guy tells Jesus he's not even sure if he can do it. 
He's not even sure if he's in this anymore. But he says, help my unbelief. Don't look now, but that's a prayer. That's what prayer looks like. Prayer is not some pious communication with God where if we say the right things in the right way, if we believe hard enough, then God will give us what we want. It's not how prayer works. Prayer is about communing with God in the wilderness when we're desperate and have nowhere else to go. Prayer is about wrestling with God, grappling, fighting, struggling to conform our hearts to God's heart. I believe. Help my unbelief. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. In fact, if you do have all the answers, that might be a bigger problem. It's okay if you're wrestling with doubt. It's okay if you're in a dark place right now. It's okay if maybe you and God aren't quite on speaking terms at the moment. There are times when I'll go to pray and I don't even have words. There are times when I'll pray and I'll just like literally set a timer for like 15 minutes and it's like, God, I have nothing to say right now. So I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to say something. And sometimes... Sometimes I do that and God does put something on my heart. Other times I do that and God doesn't say a thing. I believe, help my unbelief. I hope that our church can be a place where it is safe for people like the father in this story. I hope this can be a place where we don't have to fake it, we don't have to put on like a phony smile and pretend we've got it all together. I hope this can be a church where we are real with each other and where we're here to support each other, especially through these dark times. Mark shows us two very different forms of faith in this story. There's the faith of the disciples. It looks great on the outside. It's bold, it gets into fights, it checks all the right boxes, but it's powerless. It's impotent. By the end of the story, the disciples are left scratching their heads going, why didn't it work for us? And Mark contrasts their faith with the faith of this father. It's raw, it's unsure, desperate, it's honest. The father makes no grandiose claims. He's not interested in winning or being proved right. He's not even sure if God's going to show up. But in his raw vulnerability, this father comes to Jesus and he asks for help. I believe, help my unbelief. And that's the prayer that gets answered. May we learn from the faith of this father. Let's pray. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. We confess that we've been sucked into the performative faith of our culture, of church culture. We've shared the memes, we've said the slogans, we've put up a facade. We've started arguments 
all to distract from our doubts and our fears. So God, we pray, help our unbelief. Invite us into a faith that wrestles with you in the wilderness. A faith that doesn't have all the answers, doesn't have it all figured out, but a faith that is raw and honest and vulnerable. And help us to be the kind of church where that sort of faith is welcomed and cared for. Meet us in the midst of our unbelief, Lord, and keep us tethered to you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.